Hello and welcome to DesignCast, a podcast where I interview a wide range of excellent guests in design and STEAM education to get their unique perspectives. My name is Jason Regan and I use my 20 plus years of experience as a design educator to dig deep into complex issues. This podcast has one simple mission, to create a community of people around the world that are interested in design and STEAM education. Each episode, I chat with guests from all corners of the design world from classroom teachers to authors and even to educational consultants. We discuss a wide range of topics that we feel are relevant today. I do want to ask you that if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review, rate, subscribe, share, or download from your favorite podcasting app. This helps the podcast get discovered by listeners that might not find it otherwise. Also, it helps me to continually define the direction of future guests and episodes. Feel free to drop by my website, www.jasonreagan.ga, to leave me a comment or to sign up to be considered as a future guest on future episodes. Also, don't forget to stop by Anchor and leave me a voice clip that could even end up in an upcoming show. Thanks for listening. So let's get to it. For this episode of DesignCast, I had the unique pleasure of speaking with Ms. Tamer Pani. Tamer worked as an IB educator at an international school in Bengaluru, India. She is currently pursuing her MTech PhD integrated course in data science. She has worked as a professional development coach and as a tech integrationist. She believes that the best thing in being an IB educator is that beyond teaching, there's a lot of deep learning involved in the process and sees learning as a never-ending process. Technology integration gives her an interesting perspective into knowledge acquisition and skill building. We talk about her love of teaching and learning, as well as her published works about a dystopian society. I am sure that you will find this chat really dynamic. Welcome back to another episode of Design Cast, and I'm absolutely honored to have Tamer Pani with me today. How are you today? I'm great, Jason. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. And it's such a pleasure to talk to you today, and I, I really, really am excited about this discussion. And so can you just tell everyone a little bit about yourself and how you became involved in education? Absolutely. Um, it's really wonderful to be a part of this podcast and to interact with you. I've listened to your previous podcast where educators around the world came forward to share their experiences and it has been really, really helpful, especially a time like this where, you know, everyone has switched to online learning and a lot of changes are happening around this. My career started as a process executive in Infosys in the year 2013 uh, once I finished my bachelor's in computer science and engineering and uh, I wanted to try my hands a bit on software development, product management and stuff like that. However, I could not pursue that career because I had a lot of health issues. 
due to the deadlines that that had to be met due to the time management and uh, you know the additional work that i had to do even after office hours so i even had to work on sundays um because of all this i fell ill and uh, had to take a break and then decide on what next so i thought why not try my hands on teaching because so many people and many of my friends kept telling me for a very long time that uh, i've been doing very good seminars in college so you know teaching could be a better career for me and i can kind of explore multiple venues even through that so i applied for an ict teacher position in an international school in bangalore in india and they liked me they liked the way i communicated my interest i did a demo class and then i got selected and just started exploring ib for the first time because the school was also implementing it it was very new the school was going through the authorization phase at that point so we had to work hard build a curriculum run the curriculum successfully and uh, kind of learn through our mistakes and uh, after that i think four to five years just went by so quickly i then became an myp design teacher where i saw how in middle years program we can use technology we can run stem curriculum we can coordinate with different teachers teaching multiple disciplines and see how children can develop solutions for real time problems around them when i was teaching myp i got an opportunity to pursue my mtech and phd integrated course in uh, one of the universities in bangalore and i thought i think probably this is a right time to take a short break and see what i can do in terms of expanding my knowledge in my core area and then right now i'm currently pursuing my higher studies and i've taken a break from teaching. And you're right. Teaching just flies right by mm-hmm. <laughs> once you start That's rolling true. along with that. And yep, so yeah. I believe I was reading earlier that you actually, your, the first few years in teaching, you were actually teaching much younger students. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. Yeah. So that was totally new for me because I have never been around kids much and I was very young. I was in my 20s. I was around 23, 24. It was really confusing in the beginning. But then once I got the hang of it, it's teaching is not just teaching. You know, it's also about understanding the psychology of students, uh, understanding the emotions of students. And classroom management comes easily for teachers who know how to deal with their students and their emotions. So that took at least a year for me to get into the system and get to know them well. After that, I also focused on how to build a challenging and effective curriculum for them because when I was in school, computer science and technology was a standalone subject. You just learn the theoretical part of computers and you have some sessions in the lab where you experiment with some software tools and then that's it. There is no way you can connect what you're doing in the lab with any other subject. Whereas IB has a beautiful curriculum where you use ICT as a tool to effectively enhance the learning experience for students in all other subjects. So when I found this opportunity, I thought, wow, this is amazing. This is something we have not tried before. And it, it breaks down all the traditional barriers that were already in, ed- in the educational system. And I was able to communicate with the teachers teaching different subjects like science, math, English on other units and see how best I could develop the ICT curriculum to support the learning in other subjects. Uh, that way, I love developing the curriculum for grade one to grade five students. And there is no hard and fast rule that I have to follow this because at any point based on the situation, based on the learner's needs, I can tweak the curriculum, I can create additional projects, I can help the children do more than what they're capable of. So this kind of experiences had really changed my perspective of 
how the pedagogical practice should be in schools so so that's that's how it worked out and the children started loving me i loved them a lot and it was very difficult for me in fact to go from pyp to nyp the transition was very difficult because i was so connected with them fortunately i had some of them moving with me to sixth grade so that was a relief yeah i think working with small children can be incredibly frightening if yeah. <laughs> especially if you're not <laughs> used to being around them and you know a lot of listeners here would probably understand that feeling completely because I do know a lot of design teachers who have to sort of have moments where they work in the elementary or the primary years for schools it can be kind of frightening. But you're right. It's it's definitely a wonderfully rewarding experience because of how yeah. quickly the students adapt and learn yeah. and yeah. they're just really, really fun. So that's really fantastic. Very beautifully said. Thank you for that. You. And you. so you, what were the circumstances which made it to where you needed to move out of the primary years and move into more of the middle years design situation? So I am a person who would want to challenge myself. I cannot keep doing the same thing over and over. However, that being said, IB does not like the monotonous pattern as well because every year we experience a change in curriculum, a revamp that that keeps happening in all subjects. But still, I wanted to challenge myself further because apart from being an ICT teacher, I was also managing the professional development training plan for my school, where I would uh, you know connect with the coordinators of the respective programs and say. what kind of trainings they would want to offer for their teachers and if any external trainers need to be connected with you know i was kind of doing that and i was also conducting a lot of workshops introducing them to new technologies new tools sharing some best practices that worked out well in my class and stuff like that at some point i thought what next what what else is there better to explore and then i thought you know why not try the middle years program and see how the progression happens from pyp to myp in terms of ict and design i also had a design curriculum sort of loosely based on on the MYP curriculum i kind of introduced them to the design cycle in a very elementary level like if you take the stanford design cycle the stanford b cycle that talks about the design cycle not in a very extensive way like how myp does but then it, it knows what how to start and how to end so kids in pyp especially in 3 4 5 they were kind of making some design projects as an extensional as an extension from their uh, existing curriculum so there would be at least one design class per month where they were free to explore some resources that are given to them and come up with an innovative interesting product and then when i looked into the myp curriculum i just loved it i just loved how they had structured how they have built the design curriculum and how much freedom and flexibility we have in running the same and and that's why i thought why not apply for this position and that time you know the department got empty because all the three main teachers had to move out of the school for various reasons and it was like a perfect opportunity i was waiting for and i applied they gave a demo a demo and then you know i just got into the program I'll tell you what it's really hard to find dedicated good design teachers because in many cases such as yourself people come into design as a mm-hmm. second option <laughs> it's often really? not their oh. first choice right or not mm-hmm. or not the thing that they went into schools for mm-hmm. in many many cases or even mm-hmm. they had other careers and then yeah. they came into yeah. teaching and so it yeah. is something that's it's great that you've had this experience and so yeah. when yeah. you got to your design department what was the mm-hmm. situation you, you you say that you the whole department was new what kind of things did you guys discover and have to do with that so when i went in there 
was a vacancy for two more teachers to get into the department and we're still looking for the candidates to be you know interviewed and later be a part of the team when i entered usually when a teacher leaves they give you some resources that they have created some planners some uh, you know presentation assessment reports but those were really not sufficient for me because when i worked in pyp i used to have i'm and this person who is very very particular about organizing things and keep everything documented so that the person coming after me should not be clueless but unfortunately when i moved uh, my expectations you know could have been a, have been something extreme or high because when what i expected was not there i have to start a start from scratch i just thought it just gave me like 15 to 20 percentage of the overall picture of how things happened in the previous year i did interact with some of the students they said we do things but then we kind of we like design but we don't like the portfolio part we don't like the documentation part so that was a big challenge initially i had to make them understand that it's not clerical work that you need to do this is something that's an integral part of your whole learning and it's going to help you in future and you need to enjoy documenting things it shouldn't be it shouldn't be something that you do out of compulsion so i went on to the ibprc which was like a treasure trove of resources I went into the design curriculum portal and then I looked at the samples that they had given. It felt as if that you no know, a teacher who had already been in my situation has created the portal because I could really really connect with every single thing that was present there. I did my own learning by going through the sample portfolio, sample assessment report, the way design had to be taught in the class. I also checked some MYP design groups that were available on Facebook and started following some very good educators, design teachers like Ms. Lenny Dutton and many on Twitter as well. their experiences their resources their blogs their educational articles helped me a lot to understand the program that's how i just started you know i just started experimenting with things i was really scared to get into the class when i had to you know do the first design class teaching in with my students and gradually you know that year just went by and uh, second year i became very very confident with what i was doing and i had a clear idea It's great to hear that you were able to use the program resource center in yeah. that way because there's there's been a lot of criticism <laughs> for the program yeah. resource center over yeah. the years and I I think that's because you know things change and and ideas and content moves around and it's really yeah. hard to keep keep up you know it's quite static and but I do think that there there's a lot better resources there now than there were say you know 5 or, or 10 years ago yeah, it's definitely absolutely. much better than it was and it's great to have examples of student work and how they've yeah. been assessed and marked and and what not so that's great that you were able to use that resource in mm-hmm. that way that's fantastic yeah. tell me what's been really easy when you were in the design department what was easy for you as far as implementation what what came naturally well since i was a pyp teacher before i knew most of the students and i know how to teach them a complex concept because PYP kind of prepares both the teachers and the learners to take up MYP and then it goes on further that way. So the concept of running an inquiry-based classroom was not a challenge at all because design thrives when there is a lot of inquiry around it. So the classroom facilitation part was absolutely easy and wonderful. You know, children kind of ran the whole unit by themselves. The biggest challenge for me was to help them work as a team because there are a lot of issues when it comes to team dynamics. And I kept telling them that design is not something that's going to encourage you to create a product on your own, document your work, submit and move on because you need to know how to work as a team. You need to be a team player. You need to be able to do peer reviews, peer assessments. 
give constructive criticisms to your peers working as a team was has been all has always been a challenge and it always initially kind of created some hiccups and then finally we kind of moved on what was easy was the availability of support in the school because our mip coordinator and the subject teachers who were in the middle years program were all very very welcoming they were very helpful i had a lot of experience with them as a professional development head however i was not a part of the system or the the whole mip department before but then they were very very warm and welcoming and they you know gave me the time to cope with the situation they said whatever resources you need we are here for you this is how it's done in the other subjects this is how the planner would look this is how you need to do the assessments this is how the reporting works so that kind of peer coaching and peer learning helped me a lot And that's great to hear that you have quite that community in your school. And I think that to have a welcoming community like that is is great. And so, wow, that's that's fantastic. You know, you had a lot of help and you were able to do that. But what were some of the challenges? Did you have any challenges other than being three new teachers to the school, (laughs) (laughs) to the department anyway? So what what were some of the challenges you guys had? Yeah, that, that, that was definitely one because the new teachers had, you know, taught design, but then their experience was also. So not enough to kind of train me or, you know, uh, teach me something new about the subject because it's, it's like basically we were all, all the three of us were new to the system and the program. However, the main challenge that we had was the procurement of resources because children came up with these ambitious ideas and we did not want them to kind of feel demotivated just because they didn't have the resource in hand. So when they come up with ambitious idea, we try to, you know, tell them to tone it down or try to do the same kind of implementation with the existing resources or try to get resources from home. Parents are very, very cooperative. But however, when you tell them to procure things at the last minute or send out an email saying that this is required, they kind of, you know, get a little fussy saying that why can't the school provide this? How much of a resources we provide, sometimes it's not enough. So initially, the lab had resources, but some of the resources were not in in a proper condition. It did not work. The maintenance failed somewhere. So we had to do an audit and find out what went okay, what did not work what need to be discarded, what need to be you know, purchased. There were some delays in the budget approval and procurement of resources. That has been a very, very difficult situation for at least six to seven months, I should say. And after that, the second year, we were you know, kind of well prepared. We just said in the beginning of the academic year that this is what we, know, what we need. And this is something that the children should bring from home. And these are the things we could provide from the school. So that way, it really took one year for us to you know, stabilize and streamline the process. Well, that's great. That usually takes a lot longer in a design department mm-hmm. than one year. So <laughs> it's great <laughs> that you're able to get, well, to get some parent support like that. Yeah, um, yeah. It's not always easy because they think, wait a minute, what's the school's role in this? <laughs> exactly. So that, ex- <laughs> that brings me to another a question for you. So what kinds of projects were you guys doing? Were you doing digital and product type projects? We were running a combined design curriculum where grade six to eight were the grades I was handling. So in grade six, we had things like developing a logo design, creating a brand for an imaginary company or a product. So kids were working on Photoshop and Photopea, uh, where, you know, kids who did not have Photoshop at home can use a free tool called Photopea. So we always had this alternative where if one doesn't work, you can use the next one, you know, kind of come up with the same output. They also worked on fabric design, where they kind of knew the stitching methods, how to do uh, different types of stitching embroidery on a piece of cloth and how to just replicate the same logo design on a piece of cloth or a fabric. And uh, we also had for grade seven robotics where we taught them through Arduino programming. We 
had these Arduino kits that the school provided, and we taught them how to uh, program using Arduino C and build small rovers that can be used to explore the surface of another planet like Mars or Moon. They also understood how to do 3D printing in seventh grade. So we have a 3D printer at, uh, at the school where they understood how it works, what are the parts of the 3D printer, and they used Tinkercad, an online tool, a free tool, to develop 3D models and they, you know, exported the design, put it into the printer and saw their uh, models getting printed through the 3D printer. And for grade 8, we had website design as a digital product. They also did sustainable development design where they picked up discarded plastics or other unused materials and kind of reused it. They talked about uh, reusing, upcycling, downcycling and kind of came up with innovative products through those discarded products. And they also had to do some branding, some marketing for the products that they have created. So they have to develop a website for that product through HTML and CSS and, you know, advertise the product. And yes, they also had a unit on automation where using advanced Arduino C programming or Python, they have to come up with an automation system model. Like when you open a door, suddenly an alarm goes off or when the there isn't enough water in a plant pot, there is a small buzzer, you know, alerting you, systems like that. So it was very, very interesting. So it sounds like there's quite a combination of yes. systems design and, and a combination of digital and product design. That's great that you guys were able to make that kind of come together in, in a nice progression. And yep. so I'm sure that the students really enjoyed that, especially since they were set up from PYP through your yeah. ICT lessons as well. So that's yeah, great yeah. that they Maybe. had that. And so let me ask you, so you, you said now you're you're doing some advanced studies and, and, and whatnot. So can you tell yep. me a little bit about what you're, what you're studying and what your plan is for that? So I am doing an MTech program on data science, which talks about analyzing the big data that's out there. So we use different models to extract the data from the users, from the customers. Now, for instance, if you take the Amazon site, you just go on and purchase something and automatically it would recommend some products that can go along with what you already purchased. So these are all some algorithms that work in the back end, try to collect the user data and try to make decisions. So basically, the data science part talks about how to collect data, how to manage the data, and how to make meaningful decisions out of the data. So, so far, I think I have covered Python programming, using Python programming, how to do data modeling, data visualization, how to come up with meaningful graphs and charts with an existing data that's already in a tabular format, and then make a decision out of it. I'm also doing some statistical analysis, which talks about, you know, the concentration points in a, in a, in a certain problem. Problem, like how many of the people prefer to go for this product but not buy the other one. Uh, I'm also doing database where they talk about how to you know use the query language to fetch information from a large database, how to interpret the information and, and, and stuff like that. So the, the it's, a, it's a very interesting curriculum because most of the classes are online so it kind of uh, works well for me to sit, relax and process the information. And then after a month we will have projects that we need to present as a team. So all of them are working professionals, whoever has taken up the course. So we get together on a Skype meeting and kind of prepare a presentation for the project that we are going to present. And then there would be a Viva course and then an online test. That's how it's progressing. And I'll be having more challenging papers in the future. 
So now you've become the design student. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what it sounds like to me. What yeah. is your vision for that? What do you think you want to do when you complete your studies? So I have uh, always been keen on experiencing the three models of IB. I've done PYP, I've done MYP. Now I really wanted to go and you know teach the DP students. And when I took a uh, look at the DP curriculum, it was pretty advanced. And at that point, I thought maybe I'm not prepared enough to handle DP. And if I kind of continue in MYP for two to three years, for me, working and doing studies parallelly was very, very difficult. I'm sure I cannot do justice for at least one. And I cannot, I'm a person who want to give my 100% into whatever I do. So I thought, you know, why not take a break, finish the start higher studies and then see if I can get back to DP or maybe spend another year in MYP, just connect with all the left out things and then kind of apply for DP and ideally, move, you know, move on to DP in the end. So being a DP teacher is my long term goal. I think that as the direction that the, the DP is going in, mm-hmm. I think that you probably will have lots of opportunities for that yeah. um, because yeah. I think there's quite a bit of review going on, a lot of research in yeah. how, what direction, you know, of course, yeah. the DP wants to go in. So that sounds great that you've you've taken this much passion and put yeah. it into action. So that's great I think, that you've done uh, that. I also have to give credit to some of my students because I got an opportunity to mentor a few students in MIT 5, grade 10, when they did their personal project. And I also interacted with a lot of DP students when the extended essay was announced. All these little factors, you know, kind of triggered my interest to, you know, expand my knowledge before I think of a further progression in the career. Sure. That's very responsible of you to do that. I'm sure that your students will benefit from that. And it's wonderful that you've had this opportunity to be able to, in a a sense, take a sabbatical or a break in order to to do this. I mean, not everyone has that that luxury. So that's great that you you have that opportunity. And so let me just shift gears a little bit. This is so interesting, but I want to hear about what book you would recommend that everyone stops right now and reads. Right. So I am a person who hardly reads books related to curriculum or education because I keep that separate. I'll read books for pleasure. I usually go for uh, fictional novels. However, when I came across this book called Think Like Da Vinci by Michael Gell, I just thought that, you know, could be a reference book for design. Maybe, you know, I can just pick some good practices from this book sometime and try it out in my class. However, when I started reading about the book, this guy has clearly and beautifully connected the five senses, like seeing, smelling, hearing, touching, all the five senses with the concept of design. And he says Da Vinci has tapped his potential through these five senses. For instance, when he paints, he always kept flowers and scents in his room, which also triggered his mind to be more creative, to come up with brilliant masterpieces in his room. So when he says this, he also tries to say that when you do, when you teach design, design is an, is, a, is something that is a product of your creativity. And when you try to instill that in young learners, you need to set up that kind of an environment. You need to show them examples. So every time I teach design in my class or Every time I introduce design to a group of students, I take Da Vinci as one person and tell he's a polymath. He has done so many things. He's not just the person who painted Mona Lisa. He's done so many things. He has made blueprints for these ambitious machines, which cannot even be created even now. He is a wonderful writer. He's a wonderful artist. He's a beautiful painter. So when you when you explore the multiple dimensions of this of this single person, I was able to help them connect with design very easily. And the book also beautifully explains the importance of 
mind maps and concept maps because most of the time my children do not know where to start when i say think about this problem come up with a solution they would be like can you please guide me give me some questions because i have no clue how to think you know this is one question that comes up yes pyp prepares them for all this however there are still students who just don't know the you know the the trigger so this book helps me understand the importance of mind maps and how to help students expand their knowledge and construct such map on a piece of paper drive or derive inquiry questions from the given concept map or the mind map and then finally arrive at a solution not everything in the book can be experimented or implemented in the class but it definitely gives you a wider view of what design is all about well, you have certainly opened my eyes because I'll be adding that to my reading list. I think that's a great idea yeah. because you know how important memories are and senses yeah. to trigger those memories. So, And I can't think of a single teacher probably listening who's never had a student that said, I don't know where to start. So I think I that's know. great that, yeah, <laughs> that you've added that in. And yeah. so in preparing for this discussion, I also mm-hmm. saw that you, you yourself are mm-hmm. a published author. Could you tell me a little bit about that? This is a very, very strange part of my life where I never imagined that I would publish a book because I'm an avid reader but I never thought I would write something. For me to express my stress or you know the, the stress buster was always writing something on a piece of paper. So I used to maintain a diary where I kind of record my everyday happenings but then I gave up on it after some time and then I thought why not uh, you know start writing a small a story an interesting story and i'm into watching movies that has this dystopian fictional setting where uh, what would happen in the future after 5 or 10 years or after 20 years how would be, be the future as i started watching a lot of shows and movies of that sort i came up with this idea where i thought uh, you know it, this would be sounding too crazy for you and i sent this story to so many publishing houses and most of them thought i was crazy and said we thank you for your contribution but i don't think this is a, a good thing for us to go ahead with so what if our lives are actually controlled by certain group of people probably inhabiting another planet it could be like a big call center or an office where they sit every day and try to chart our future so every single decision you take is being controlled by the person that's in another planet or in another universe that could be the person who has left the earth that could be the person who is your forefather or an ancestor anybody however you are not completely in control of your decisions but then there is an invisible force that that's in the other end of the spectrum trying to control your day-to-day activities so i had like four to five chapters standalone stories which kind of reflect this philosophy and that's how the first book got made and the second book was basically an experience about workplace politics where an organization coming under the control of a new system i mean there is an existing company which is taken over by another boss or a manager and then how the existing employees feel because of the sudden change and how the leadership change can affect the entire network inside that existing system something like that and that was another fictional story and you know both of it was liked by this particular publishing house and they you know readily accepted to publish it and whenever i find time now i cannot write this much so i kind of write small poetry and i send it to some web magazines and a few get picked up and they publish it so so that's my stress buster wow tamer i'll tell you what i you you <laughs> are definitely well rounded and balanced oh God, you have lots of <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very very happy that you didn't call me crazy Uh, Oh, no, no, no. I think it's fantastic. We have to have a stress buster. I love you calling it that. And I think that you're absolutely right. I mean, we have to have something to keep us sane, (laughs) not go crazy. Yeah. 
That's the <laughs> Absolutely. <word. laughs> so, all right. So now's the time. If people want to get in touch with you and find mm-hmm. out more about your book or find mm-hmm. out more about your, your studies, how, how uh-huh. can they do that? What's the best way to get in touch? So I'm very, very active on social media. So they can message me on Facebook or through Twitter. Yep. I mean, I keep checking my messenger. I keep checking my Twitter messages all the time, every day. So that's, that's the best way that they can be in touch. And I'm very, very happy to connect with educators, share my experiences, even learn from them and uh, see how best we can support each other. Great. I will make sure that you, your social media contacts are part of our show notes so that people sure. who want to reach out can get in touch yep. and yep. grow your network even more. This has just been so much fun. I've really, really enjoyed chatting with you mm-hmm. and, and having such a great time just listening to your story. And so I would really love to extend an invitation invitation to you for when you do finish your studies, just mm-hmm. as a follow-up conversation to how it went and where you plan to go from there. Absolutely. So maybe Thank we can so meet much. again after that. Okay. Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> such a privilege. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Likewise. Thank you for having me. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts, at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. I hope you enjoyed that episode of DesignCast. I'm Jason, your host, and I produced and created this podcast. If you have any input, I would love to hear from you. And I look forward to seeing you again really soon. I am so excited to announce the launch of a new podcast network called DNA Podcast Network. The Design Network Alliance, or DNA, was founded by Evo Hanan and myself as a result of DesignCast number 16. We talked all about the need to connect design educators globally. DNA is a collective group of like-minded design educators from around the world. We have one simple mission, to connect design and STEAM educators with each other and with designers that want to make a difference in design education to make it better for future generations. The DNA Podcast Network is a hub for podcasts that cover the topics around design, design and technology, design thinking, STEAM, and STEM education. If you are interested in hearing more great content, head over to www.dnapodcastnetwork.ga today. Click on the thumbnail of the podcast that you want to hear and enjoy. If you have any other podcasts that you enjoy that cover similar topics, please feel free to get in touch with me and let me know so that I can look at adding them to the network. Finally, spread the word. Share with your network and your PLN and use the hashtag DNA Podcast Network. Thank you.